We also want to wish uh, mothers out there a, a happy Mother's Day, as uh, we hope this day's been special for you already. Good job, uh, Mom. All right. I just, uh, Gary, just want to let you know that um, probably one of my favorite things that we're producing these days are the Gary's Corners. Matter of fact, I was talking to my grandson, five-year-old grandson, the other day, and I said, what do you like best about what the church is doing now? And he just kind of looked at me and he said, Gary's Corner. And uh, that's coming from a five-year-old, so that's pretty cool when you think about it. Well, we are continuing the series that Jonathan Christian started, um, uh, that whole idea of, of the church has left the building. And, and let me just say this, uh, we, we're taking our lead from Revelation chapters 2 and 3, uh, and it's basically Jesus addressing the seven churches. And uh, as we've already saw last week, Jonathan Christian uh, covered the first five uh, churches. Uh, today, Gary and I are going to cover the last two. Uh, what's interesting about these churches is the fact that they're so, uh, there's a contrast between the two. They're so different from one another. So if you will, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be back and forth into those two churches. Um, but it is interesting, the contrast that we do see in these churches. Uh, one was considered uh, alive and faithful, the other dead and failing. Uh, one was commended, the other one was condemned, basically. One was determined and the other was deceived. Uh, and so when you begin to look into these churches, I think many of us would look at these churches and say, well, uh, how am I supposed to take this information? This is about churches. Well, think about it. Uh, we make up the church. We as individuals make up the church. Therefore, uh, what we bring to the church is uh, what the church becomes. And I would challenge you, I think, as we heard last week from Jonathan and Christian, that, the, that which church best describes maybe where you are as an individual. Uh, the two churches we're looking at today, you're going to see a noticeable difference between the two. And maybe by the end of this message, you'll be able to identify uh, which church you identify most with. And so uh, as we get started, uh, let's look at the setting of each church uh, as we see there in the first century, maybe a little bit about the city that that church was in. Gary, um, would you like to introduce the Church of Philadelphia? Yeah. Um, uh, so the Church of Philadelphia, we uh, meet in Revelation chapter 3. And uh, there's not a lot known about this church except for what's in this passage here in Revelation. And, and like most of the other seven churches, it was probably founded during Paul's ministry at Ephesus. And of course, when we think of Philadelphia, I think of the, the city in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. And of course, it's known as the city of brotherly love. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting, though, when you think of that theme for the, for the city. Back in the early 80s, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to go to Philadelphia and uh, went to a game at Veterans Stadium. And, and I'll tell you, those people really weren't that friendly at all. And I thought, man, this isn't the city of brotherly love. It's the city of brotherly shove. So you, that's a little play on words there. But uh, uh, it, it is a, uh, wasn't a popular place, uh, Philadelphia, to live because they had experienced frequent earthquakes. Uh, so, of course, it wasn't a, a, a hot spot to live. And in Revelation 3, verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy and he who is true. And, and as you think of that introduction, it talks about the angel or the messenger or the, the elders, the church leaders. And it's kind of cool to think about, Brian, uh, that you're, a, you're an angel. Mm. Yeah, so, and, and I'm an angel. And of course, Christian, Jonathan, and Wes, we're angels. 
uh, we're fallen angels, but you're like uh, yeah. the, uh, a good angel. Yeah. So that's cool, but uh, it makes me think about that. So that's the uh, intro, introduction to Philadelphia. How about later? Yeah, Laodicea, uh, of course, the, there's a church there. It's also in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey. All these churches are in, in that area. Uh, I did a little research on this, and the Greek meaning of the word Laodicea uh, it actually comes from two Greek words. Uh, the first, laos, which literally means people, and, and then the word dyke, which is really the word for decision. And if you put it together, it's basically the idea that these are people who made their own decisions, or you could say they're self-reliant people uh, who seem to like nothing. And what's ironic about all that is their name kind of describes really who they are as a city and all, actually what that church was like there in the first century. Uh, let me just say it is a wealthy city. Uh, it was on one of the main tra trade routes uh, go uh, of the Roman Empire. Uh, we find several reasons why they were a wealthy city. city. They produced a lot of fine quality fabric from wool. Uh, they were the banking capital of the region. Uh, they had a famous school of medicine there. Uh, they actually produced eye and ear ointments and, um, and, and, and also big, big entertainment city. It had two Roman theaters. Uh, but what's really kind of ironic, especially when you look into how Jesus addressed them, uh, they had to basically get their water from six miles south of the city. And, and so they, they had to basically pump in the water. And, and that becomes a, a big deal, as we'll see later in the text. It's interesting, when you look at verse 14, it says, And to the angel, the idea of the messenger of the church of the Laodiceans, and then he says, right. But before he, he gets into really what he's uh, basically talking to them about what needs to be corrected, he, it's almost like Jesus is giving his credentials. And if you look in all seven churches, he does the same thing. He talks about this is to this church, and then uh, just to let you know who I am, I'm this, this, and this. And it all pertains to what he's going to address in these churches. And so he, the first thing he says, he says, these things says the amen. And again, he's introducing himself or providing his credentials. And it literally means when he says he's the, the amen, he's basically Jesus is God's fulfillment. He's the fullest amen to our needs. He's also the final word. And then a second description we find is the faithful and true witness. It's the idea that he will not dilute the truth, nor will he distort the truth. But it also has the other side of that meaning, meaning that he's incapable of being deceived. He can't be deceived by our hypocrisy or maybe even us in the church going through the motions. Uh, and then as we're going to see in this text, he calls out what he sees. He calls out those things that are wrong. Uh, again, he's not deceived uh, by what they may be putting forward. Uh, it's obvious he's going to address that. And then he says also the author of creation. Again, it goes back to the idea he created it all. He has seen it all. And he's someone who will not fall into deception. Now, these opening remarks uh, uh, of this letter uh, is basically how he introduces the church at Laodicea. Uh, but Gary, tell us a little bit more about what was so great about the church at Philippi, or uh, Philadelphia, excuse me. Well, Philadelphia, uh, this church was really given high marks by the Lord Jesus. And, and, and what, he, what he says here is, is encouraging for the church. And it, it, was, it was words of praise. And uh, he says in verse 8 of Revelation 3, it says, I know your works. 
See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. And as I look at that verse, there's, there's like four words of encouragement. There's, there's praise here that the Lord gives. You know, praise is something we all uh, appreciate, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as long as it's heartfelt. And, and we all want encouragement. And, and uh, Jesus encourages this church. Mm-hmm. And he starts off by saying, I know you guys are doing good works. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're faithful as you're giving these good works and as you're doing these good works. And I, I think when, when we're faithful, we're fruitful. Mm-hmm. And boy, if we could just be faithful and realize who we're doing it for, uh, that God's opened us doors uh, to serve, even in this time, this season we're in that we hear so much about. But, but there's open doors to serve. Mm-hmm. And everything we can do and everything we should do should be investment into the kingdom into God's work there. And uh, it should be a spiritual investment. You know, and I think of this, I think of Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 10, where it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then verse 10, sometimes we leave it off, but it's so helpful. It says, For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Hmm. And we're to be works people. We're not saved by works, but works should follow. And this is important that that our faith in Jesus leads to doing. You know, I think of this church uh, in Philadelphia. Um, They were a a loving church. Uh, We we looked at Ephesus last week and uh, they were a a church that had great doctrine and great teaching, and they were commended for that, but, but there wasn't love behind it. Mm. And I think if, if, if we don't have love behind what we do, uh, it, it easily leads to legalism. Mm-hmm. And, and none of us want to be uh, legalistic. We want to be loving with good truth in mind. I, I think of a teacher friend of mine who said this about uh, uh, a good, solid teaching. And he was saying this, talking about this idea, uh, win the relationship, not the argument. I know sometimes when I uh, discuss or even argue things, uh, I want to win. But the relationship's more important. So, so I just point that out for us uh, this morning. Uh, another thought here, the way he approves, the way he encourages, he, he uses this phrase in this verse, for you have a little strength. And, and first notice that might, well, maybe they weren't uh, that great of a church. Well, the idea here is maybe they were small in number. Maybe they were uh, a, a church that, that was poor and in a lower level of society and so, so, so what Jesus is saying, hey, that's okay. The right things, the right ingredients your church has is what it should be about. They weren't about buildings or big budgets or stuff or, or planning these great events. Even though uh, some of those things are important, the church was walking through the open doors that God provided for them, and they did it in God's strength. And I love Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 12 where he says, or, or what Jesus said to Paul, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And you know, uh, when we're weak, uh, we're, we're often strong. They flow with this spiritual power that the Church of Philadelphia uh, flowed with. And then there's two more thoughts here to the way Jesus praised this church. He, he says, hey, you guys are keeping my word. You're keeping the word of God. And what a great thing to be said about a church, that we are faithful in the truths 
of Scripture. Mm -hmm. You know, we more than know it, we should apply it. They were doers of the word. Let's be doers of the word. So keep the word. And then one last thought here. He says, you have not denied my name. They, they were, were serious about being a Christ follower. They, they stayed loyal to the truth, no matter the cost. And, and, and boy, if we could just stay loyal to Jesus and, and realize, you know, we're, we're to honor him and to love him as we are in relationship with, with him. And in spite of the persecution that's going on, uh, put the name of Jesus on display. Uh, they heard the message and they lived it out. You know, I have on a family picture in my office, I have uh, this phrase, uh, let love, loyalty, and honor become the norm. Hmm. And boy, if we could just grasp that, if I could grasp that, Gary, you'd be loving, you'd be loyal, and you'd be honoring. And boy, a good thing for our family, a good thing for our church. Hmm. All right? So that's, so that's what I see here. Now, Brian, what about your church? Uh, what's so good about Laodicea? Well, that's where this church really stands out. Uh, this church was not commended for anything. Uh, when you look at the seven churches, this is the one that was basically Jesus didn't commend them for anything. And it really was one of those churches that needed a lot of work. Uh, it needed to get its heart right. And, uh, and so obviously um, he's got much to say that they need to address, but nothing that he can commend them for. And uh, that's really telling when you really think about it. How about Philadelphia? Uh, is there anything that, that uh, Jesus said that needed to be corrected in them? Hmm. You know, it's interesting you say that because my church was perfect. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I joke about that. But really, they, they were mature in their walk. Of course, they weren't perfect. No church is perfect um, because sin is in each of our lives. But they were mature. They handled their sin in a biblical way. They were a healthy church. They were a church that sought the Lord. Um, and, and, and again, nothing is said negative about this church. And that's only said of these seven churches, Philadelphia, and last week the guys as they discussed Smyrna. Mm -hmm. They were the only churches that this, this could be said about. Uh, their faith that they demonstrated led them to put Jesus on display. And really, it makes me think of Romans 12 mm -hmm. and that passage that's so important when it comes to living out the Christian life, where it says in Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, mm -hmm. hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, mm -hmm. bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Listen to this, church, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, associate with the lowly. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And then it ends there, verse 21, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how about Laodicea? Well, Laodicea, as I already said, needed a lot of work. Uh, there was a lot of things that Jesus addressed with them. He began addressing it with them in verse 15. He says, I know your works. Uh, basically, you can, when you think about that phrase, boy, it's a big phrase. You know, I, I know what, what you're about. Uh, you can't hide anything from me. I know who you truly are, what you're doing. But he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Uh, you know, when we think about that, it's almost like we definitely have a contrast between cold and hot. 
Uh, but here he's not saying that one was good and one was bad. He was basically saying both can be good. Uh, the idea of cold being invigorating or refreshing, uh, the idea of hot, it could go into actually the idea of uh, doing something, boiling something that could bring healing, or it could even speak of passion. And then he says, I could wish you were cold or hot, that you'd be one of these. Uh, and basically you say, well, what's behind that thought? It's the idea of being useful. Being useful. I want you to be refreshing. I want you to be healing. And it's really the whole idea of impact. And then he comes to verse 16. He says, so then, because you are lukewarm, you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Uh, it's the idea that you, you, you're not refreshing. You're not healing. You have no impact. And, and, and some people say, well, that is, this church is sickening to God, uh, uh, to Jesus. So as he states this, it's, it's really, he's talking more of the fact that they're not useful to him. He's not able to use what they offer. So what Jesus is describing here, I mean, let's go back to what we said about this church earlier. Fresh water had to be piped in six miles from the south. Basically, each day of their lives centered around what they were going to do with water. And, and so the water, they worked hard to, to prepare the water for use. Um, it was constantly on their minds. The goal was to make the water drinkable or usable. And, and it goes back to, to, to this. And so Jesus, and I love the way Jesus is uh, making it uh, so real to this church. He's, he's basically, I, I see your need. It's all about water. And he uses that. I mean, it just shows you how relevant Jesus was when he was writing all this. And then it says, Jesus seems to be saying to the lukewarm church that you do not know of the transforming power of God, that which is refreshing, impactful, passionate. He, he's saying, you know, none of these things. You, you are a church. You as a church have great resources, maybe funded programs, maybe even inspiring worship gatherings. But you don't have the transforming power that I want demonstrated. Uh, you have no impact. And so he's very I mean, he's really speaking to this church. And and and, you know, when you think of churches, modern churches of today, and uh, this is speaking to churches today, actually. Verse 17 because you say, now this is, Jesus is saying, this is what you're saying about yourself. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. It's, it's like you can hear the pride. You hear the self-reliance. You hear the self-sufficiency. We, we don't need anybody. We can, we can make it happen. You see, it appears that this wealthy city seemed to have produced a wealthy church, which became deceived by what appears to be materialism. You go on down to verse 17, he, just as Jesus saying that he said what they said. And he says this, you do not know. Uh, you think you're rich. You think you're wealthy. You think you have need of nothing. But really, here's how I would describe you. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty incriminating. It's opposite of what they thought they were. And, and he's calling them out. You see, it doesn't matter the, if, we, if we try to put our best foot forward. If we as a church just kind of go through the motions and there's no heart for God and there's no uh, uh, idea of bringing glory to God through what we do, he, he's going to call you out on it. And he's doing that here. You could ask, basically, what does it mean for a church to be wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked? Well, maybe it means they replace prayer with busy programming. Maybe they replace the true gospel with a social gospel. Maybe they conveniently replace God's truth with a deceptive truth of their liking. 
Maybe they replaced the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit with the impotence of their own making where they became powerless. And what's so amazing about this, they didn't seem to even know it. They were powerless and didn't seem to know it. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. Many of you know the character Samson and how he would go out and the Bible said the Spirit would move upon him and he would do these great feats of God. And then one day he goes out and you know the story. He's lost all his strength. He goes out just like he always did and he, he's going to go and do this mighty thing. And the Bible carefully says, but Samson did not know that the Spirit had left him. It's the same thing that happened with this church. They were out there doing these mighty things, but they weren't even aware that Jesus wasn't even capable of using what they were using. You see, here it is. They were in bad shape. If you were to say, okay, what was going on? They were basically going through the motions, inspired by their pride, fueled by their self-sufficiency, and blinded by their own deception. And Gary, I know the church at uh, uh, Philadelphia, I keep wanting to say Philippi, I know the church at Philadelphia, uh, God had all these great things to say about it and didn't really have to get reprimanded for anything, but does there seem to be a challenge that He still gives them? Yeah, if you look in verse 11, He challenged, challenges the church by saying, Behold, I am coming quickly, and then He says, Hold fast what you have. Hmm. And, and that's a, a challenge for Him. And it's a challenge for us, too, to say... Hey, stay with it. Hold on. Hold fast. Mm. Don't quit. Stay with it. Uh, sure, uh, God's blessing, Philippi. God's blessing, Pleasant City. But, you know, I haven't come back for the church yet, so you finish well. And, and he said, and I, it makes me think of, of that idea in Galatians 6 where it says, Don't grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Hmm. And I'll tell you, it's just, we're in a time, I know you, you moms are, are doing a lot of school at home. Stay with it. Hmm. Uh, keep finishing. Some of you are even doing your work stuff at home and doing school. Stay with it. Hold fast to the expectation that Christ is coming back for us and wants us to be faithful. Titus 2, look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there's something else, too. If you read further down in the passage, it says, you know, the, the reference Jesus makes, he talks about uh, them being a pillar. And, and that idea of a pillar, uh, I think of that word picture. You know, I'm sure the, the church, when they, when they heard this, they, oh, yeah, pillars. They, they hold big buildings up. In fact, ancient cities would often uh, uh, put a great leader's name on that pillar just to kind of honor that that person and, and boy god wants us to be faithful people he wants us to be pillars in our church in our homes in our community and, and boy i'm so reminded i know brian we're dads and granddads and and these people these kids these grandkids they're counting on us to finish well hmm. to to be pillars in our homes and and i tell you i love our senior adults i know uh, we, we like our whole church, but we really like our senior adults. There's Betty McIntyre, we miss you. Uh, Maina, we even miss you. But, but when you think of this, we, we, you guys are just staying with it. And, and we appreciate you, the fact that you're, you're finishing well. And we, we, uh, we want you to, have, uh, to know that we love you and are, are thankful that you keep cheering us on, cheering on the next generations. But, but that idea of, of being a pillar is such a, a great challenge here to, to finish well. And, and let me just close with this, Titus 1.9, hold fast the faithful word as has 
been taught. In other words, stay in the word, stay faithful to the word. Paul's writing to Titus in Titus 1.9, and he says, hey, these are the qualities that you need in your life. Hold fast to these things. Hmm. Counsel for Laodicea, Brian? Yeah, he definitely had counsel for him. I mean, there was a lot that needed to be addressed. Uh, uh, you, you continue to see the contrast between this church that seemed to have things together. He's just encouraging them, keep, keep going, do, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, with the Laodicean church, it's completely the opposite. Uh, there needs to be something that needs to change here. Some repentance needs to go on. And so in Revelation chapter 3, look at verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. Uh, now, you may look at that and think, okay, what was that? Well, it's, it's a, he's addressing the fact they were so self-reliant. They, it was self-sufficiency. Uh, they didn't have need of anything that he was offering. They felt like they were doing it all just fine. But look what he says. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He's speaking really again to the city that was a wealthy city that knew what wealth was, and he's saying he's speaking to the wealth. And then he says, in white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. He's speaking to the fashion industry there. I mean, he, I mean he's really hitting all the buttons. Uh, and then he says, and anoint your eyes with eye that you may see. Again, speaking to the medical industry right there in that city. All the things that he's saying and addressing, they, they saw right there in their city. But basically, the bottom line is he's saying you need to be restored. You need to be transformed. Now, there is nothing, he's saying, there is nothing that you have produced that I can use. There's nothing that I can say good about what you're doing. Boy, what a sad commentary. Uh, you know, and, and, and he's really, again, they're not getting anything by him. He sees it. He's basically saying what you truly need, you need from me. Quit relying on what you produce and receive from me. Move from physical wealth to spiritual wealth. Move from your own righteousness to my righteousness. Move from your spiritual deception to spiritual insight and truth. And you see that right here in verse 18. Then Jesus moves from a message of disapproval and, and discipline to a message of love and grace. And I don't know about you, but I find a lot of comfort in that. I, I, there's times I've made a mess of my life. There's times I know Gary has. Uh, I think I've seen some of it. But anyway, we, we, we've been there. We, we've all been there. But there's this still, there's Jesus sitting there in the midst of our despair, in the midst of the, the, the discipline that needs to come in our life, and He's still reaching out with love and grace. Look what He says in verse 19. As many as I love, He's implying that He loves this church. He, he still loves them. It's still made up of people who are believers. He still loves this church, even though they've lost their way. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The Laodicean, however, church did not start that way. I want you to think about it. We look back at the history of when this was written. It's probably, this church has probably at this point been in existence 40 to 50 years. Some people believe that either Paul had a direct hand in starting the church or had some uh, ministry extension that actually started the church. But it came from Paul. And you know that those churches that Paul started, many of them just, just thrived even in the midst of great controversy. I have to believe that this church at one time was probably what the Philadelphia church was. But, but now something needs to happen. They need to be transformed. So how does a church recapture what it once was? The fact they were useful. Maybe they were a place of refuge. Maybe they were a place of refreshing, of healing, transformation. So what does he say to get back to it? Look at verse 19 again. Therefore be zealous. 
I like the word zealous. It literally means enthusiastic. Be enthusiastic. Go back to the point where you're beginning to get excited again about what God wants to do. And then he says, be zealous, be enthusiastic and repent. He's basically saying, be excited about what your repentance may, may bring and the things that you may recapture as a church. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Acts 3.19. And I'm going to read this from the Amplified Bible. It says, so repent. It literally means change your inner self, your old way of thinking. Regret your past sins and return. Return to God. Seek His purpose for your life so that your sins may be wiped away. What does that mean? Blotted out. It means to be completely erased so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Restore is the idea of restoring uh, that uh, restoring through a cold beverage or something that's needed that's, that's appropriate for that that need. He's basically saying, let's get back to that. Let your repentance lead that back to that refreshing. And then verse twenty, one of the most remarkable verses in the Bible. He says, "Behold, this is Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock." If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I want to stop right there. There's still more to the verse, as many of you know. But you know what this implies? It implies that Jesus is on the outside of the church. Now, now that's amazing when you think about it. I mean, I mean, uh, what does that mean practically? Well, for us, it may mean they, that Jesus is no longer their lead story. Uh, it could mean that their heart was not where his heart was. I mean, maybe they had that idea of look at us instead of worship Him. But, but then we see the fact that this is what's remarkable to me. Remarkable to me. Look at the, how it's read. He invited them to invite Him back in. Now that's amazing when you think about it. He was not forcing Himself in, but He wanted them to invite Him back in. And then He goes on and He says, I will come, if you do that, if you open this door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know what that implies? Fellowship. Once again, enjoying one another's fellowship. It also speaks of synergy. It's the idea of working together, that you're, you're being useful for the kingdom of God. And he's basically saying, let's recapture this. Then Jesus closes with a promise here in verse 21. To him who overcomes, he says this to all seven churches, to him who overcomes, uh, the overcomers are the, those who follow Jesus Christ. To those who do that, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Also, I've overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He's basically inviting this church to come back to its proper place, to rule and reign for him, with him. And then I just want to close with this. How can we learn or what can we learn from the church at Philadelphia? You know, as Gary was describing this church, you know, it, it kind of makes you where, you know, you just you just pray that you're leading that kind of church or you're a part of that kind of church. I mean, he's basically, when you look at it, it seemed like they were intentional in growing in the knowledge and the truth of Jesus Christ. They, they, they wanted to be the Romans 12 church. Uh, they, they, they were steadfast in the faith. I mean, boy, what, what a great way to be known, what, how to be known. And then what can we learn from the church at Laodicea? It's that idea that we must never stop letting Jesus be our lead story. 
whether we're talking about us as a church at Pleasant City Church or we're talking about an individual, he must always be our lead story. We must never think that we are self-sufficient. Everything that we do must follow the heart of God and be empowered by him. And so as I close this message that we've attempted to bring to you this morning, for you, do you live a Philadelphia existence or a Laodicean existence? Which one of these churches kind of describes where you are right now? I don't know about you, but this was a very convicting message to prepare, uh, especially as I was looking at the church of Laodicea and, and, and trying to see where they were missing it. I think there's been times in my life where I've missed it. Uh, but there's been also those seasons in my life where I think I identify more with the Philadelphia church. And I don't know about you, but when I find myself in the Laodicean way, so to speak, I, I'll, I, I, yeah, I just thank God that He's there, that He wants me to recapture what the Philadelphia church had. And I don't know about you, but, and I hope you'll do a careful examination of this, maybe to, uh, as you contemplate what we've shared here this morning. But my prayer is that God would do a greater work in your life, that maybe you need to recapture what you once had in Him. How did you say to do it? Through repentance. Through repentance will come the refreshing. And that that's where you are. If you're in that Laodicean way, that's your only way back. I want to thank you for listening to us this morning. And I want you to know our heart is that you've been touched by what God has, had to say, what God has attempted to say through Jesus to these seven churches. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Gary, would you close us? Lord, thank you for uh, lessons that you teach us from your word. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lord, I just thank you for Pleasant City Church. I thank you for the people that are part of this uh, great ministry. And Lord, help us realize, Lord, you, you're calling us to be uh, like this church in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And help us be on guard. Help us keep you the main thing, the lead story in all our conversations, in the workplace, in our homes, in our church. Help us realize, Lord, that you uh, give us the tools in your word and in fellowship with believers and fellowship and in prayer and time with you, Lord, that we can uh, let you uh, continue to be our lead story. So we desire that, Lord. I do pray that, that we would examine ourselves um, and realize, Lord, there's, there's times where we need to repent mm. and turn away and uh, realize that, Lord, we push you outside so often and you are knocking and saying, okay, mm. uh, here's an opportunity again to let me in. And I just pray, God, that we'd be sensitive to you leading our lives. Thank you again for, uh, for, for the hope we have in the gospel and help us hold true to that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.